You coming up? Yeah, let's get done. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. Now, I want you to notice something. I'm sure you haven't noticed. It was a little bit quiet in here. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to give you a pass on that one. There's a lot of space around. You notice that? There's a little bit of space around us. You know, what God has called us to do is to seek and then to chase after that which is lost. The reason God has placed us in this community is to treat those who are not a part of the family as family. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Now, I don't know if you realize it, you know, before you changed your life, he loved you. It's not a lot of people that'll do that for you. Even family sometimes won't love you until you get it fixed. And yet God in his grace loved us while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And see, our role in Evergreen is to take that grace, generosity, and love to allow it to change us and then to allow it to work through us because there's a community of people that do not believe in the God that we worship. And it's us who God is sending out that he wants to work through to demonstrate his grace and love in this community. And so we're walking through this series today uh, called Everyday Mission because mission is not something you put away. It's not a book you read and put up on the shelf. It's not an event. It's not a destination. It's how God has called us to live life every single day because God has rescued us. He's now sending us out to rescue others. And so if you would, and actually before I mention this, Hey, today, uh, David Hansen, our children's director, this is his last Sunday today. And so when you see him, would you just kind of hold on to him a little bit, hug him? You know who David is, everybody? Some of you do. Some of you do. Hey, when you see him, give him a hug. Tell him you love him and you're grateful for what he's done. You know, in ministry, sometimes there can be challenges. And it's the church when we come around each other in those times of challenges that God's love gets demonstrated and we experience his goodness. And so please uh, take that chance and thank David for what he's done here. Hey, would you grab a Bible? We're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. And I gotta tell you, this is a passage I'm incredibly excited about. So if you wanna grab a Bible, you'll see that Bible in front of you. Uh, You can grab that, you can turn on your phone, go to Luke chapter 15. And what we're going to look at today, I have to share, is um, a message. It's not original with me. It's original with Scripture, but it's been taught over the years by a number of people. Most recently, I got it through a guy named Tim Keller. And he wrote a book. And if you're looking for a short book, you know, not too much, not too much, not too heavy, uh, Prodigal God. And it's all based on Luke 15. And if any credit for this message, if it's good, it's Tim or it's God. It's not me. Are you with me? So Luke chapter 15, and we're gonna read uh, verses one through three, seven, and then 10 all the way down. And then after we read it, I wanna share, uh, Stephen has, based on on, uh, what God is teaching him, he's got a song that he's gonna sing. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna get into the word. And so let let me read this for you. Luke 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. Jump down to verse 7. So I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took the journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country, he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. See, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, notice, treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him, Hey, what are these things? What do they mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28 But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and, and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, son, you're always with me. All that is Mine is yours, and it's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found.
this melody came to me a couple weeks ago. My grandmother used to always say, you are lovely, lovely, altogether lovely. And that was like kind of a mantra, for lack of a better word, for our family. She would always say that. We always quote Mama Sue when she says that. And so I've always tried, I've tried to write a song about it a couple times, but this melody came and it was like, it was finally, finally fit together. So I feel like that's what God was telling me when, um, when I wrote these words down. So you can never outrun his love. You can rest in that. Father, I thank you that the love of God does not make sense to the heart of man. God, that you who were in perfection were willing to sacrifice for those who not only cursed you but abused you and rebelled against you, but have even used the good gifts that you've given in a way to dishonor you. God, your love is, is greater than anything we have seen, understood, nor could imagine. And so in Jesus' name, Father, as we... As we walk through this story, would the truth of who you are dispel the lies in the heart? Maybe the lies of what we believe about ourselves or others in this room. It could be the lies, Father, what we've held up before you and who you are. Lord, help us to see you today in a way that our eyes are open and we know you. We can walk with you and because of that, Father, we can demonstrate to others the love that you've shown us. So Father, meet us here, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this passage that we're walking through in this message, um, it's something that for me radically changed the way that I did ministry. You know, for many years, I understood the gospel, you know, I understood that God has forgiven me of my sins and I knew I was a sinner, trust me. You go back to my neighborhood, everyone knew I was a, I was a sinner. And I knew I needed help, I knew I needed Jesus. And I came and I got some Jesus. I got, I met him. I knew God. I started reading the Bible and starting to grow. I even got a seminary degree and they called me a master of divinity. <laughs> yeah, not really. And so I felt like now I'm a pastor. I've finally gotten there. You know, I've done all this work. I've, I've done all these things. I'm a good moral man. And here I am teaching the word of God. And then one day, 
in my own moment of kind of a self-righteous pride, God took this message and crushed me with grace. He didn't crush me with a command. He crushed me with grace because he said, Jason, this is who you are. And you don't see yourself. Now, let me explain that. And in this story, is, you've probably heard this story many times, the prodigal son. Well, it's not a story about one son. We miss, it's actually a story about two sons. There's the lost younger brother, lost in prostitution and lost in alcoholism. His life is a mess, black sheep of the family. And yet he's not the only son who is distant from the father. There's another son at the end of the story who refuses to respond to the father's love and to the father's words. He's an elder brother, but he's not lost like the younger brother. This is a good man. This is a religious man. This is a church-going man. And yet when the father entreats him to come in and to celebrate, he says, look. You ever gotten that? Not father, look you. You're the problem. He doesn't understand the father's love. You know, in this parable, what Jesus is doing and what God has used it in my life to show is that Jesus is radically redefining how we connect to God. That we don't connect to God through our good morality. That we don't earn our way into God's presence. We don't uh, simply sacrifice and do some rituals and give a few things and spin around five times and God suddenly accepts us. No, God doesn't accept us because of what we've done, but solely because of what Jesus has done. And it's so easy that once you receive that, you can move off into something that represents God, but it doesn't reflect God. See, this elder brother, he is just as lost as his younger brother. But hear me, he's lost in his morality. He's lost in his religion, but he's away from the Father. You know, as we jump into the story, grab your Bible and look in verses one and two, you're gonna notice those who are listening to this story. Because what Jesus wants to do is to compare and contrast these two brothers. And only if you compare and contrast the two will you recognize who these brothers represent and really what's happening in their life. So pick it up, watch this in verse one now. He says, and, and now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. I want you to understand, if you had children, you wouldn't have taken these children into this crowd. Why? There are tax collectors. Now, I'm not talking IRS tax collectors and sinners. When we think of tax collectors, I don't know about you, if you did the flannel graphs and Sunday school, you think of Zacchaeus, the wee little man was he, climbed up in that, no, sycamore tree to see what he could See, sorry. We think of this Zacchaeus. Hey, he came, he responded to Jesus. He wasn't that bad of a guy, but realize a tax collector in the first century was the most worthless and unforgivable kind of profession that you could possibly have. If you know anything about the history, when Jesus walked this earth, Rome covered the territory from England all the way uh, to India. And Israel was all under the authority of Rome, and Rome was not a nice, it wasn't a nice regime. Rather, when they came in and conquered a territory, 
They wouldn't just simply uh, entreat you to submit. No, they would slaughter thousands upon thousands of men, women, children. So you got the point. Caesar is Lord, and you will bow your knee to no one else. Now, what's a tax collector? A tax collector is a Jew taxing other Jews so that the Roman army can continue to oppress and kill. Are you with me on that? He's a Jew excising taxes, meaning taking more than what you should give. Why? So that this violent, oppressive regime could continue to carry out their violence and murder upon others. So imagine, you're sitting in the back. You're not a tax collector and sinner, right? That's not who you are. You're, you're looking back and you're watching this kind of worthless human being and Jesus is willing to receive him. And you know, just two months ago, two towns over, your sister, her whole family was wiped out simply because there was some kind of fear of insurrection and the Romans came in and slaughtered them. How are you gonna feel towards this tax collector? He's not a wee little man, was he? This is someone worthy of death. If there's anyone worthy of just bombing and wiping off the face of the earth, this is a worthless, unholy human being. And the only thing righteous Jews felt is hatred and he deserves hell. But see, he's not the only one. Now, he's singled out, unfortunately, but there's also a community called sinners. Now, we think that today we're all sinners. We understand that we've all sinned and fallen short, and yet in the first century, the category of sinners was reserved for a, a special group of people. See, they had the kind of job that was reprehensible to good, normal society. These were slave traders. These were like the tax collectors. These were prostitutes, people that had reprehensible jobs, and therefore, over them, they got a category called sinner. And not only those that did bad things, but those that had messed up bodies. Say you're born with a malady, a deformity. Maybe in life, you got hurt and injured in some way. Or maybe you contracted a disease. See, for the righteous, the religious, they would look at that and say, see, you must have done something wrong. God is condemning you. You're a sinner. See, these are two categories of people that in their mind, God wanted nothing to do with. And here's the fact. All of us have a category like that. Can we be honest and not do church, but we all have a category of people who are not worthy to live. And what's happening behind them? Who are the people that, as these guys, these women are coming to Jesus, notice in verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they're grumbling. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This Jesus, who's talking about God, our God, who is he? He is one that associates with the worst of people and he eats with them, meaning he must be one of them. Jesus, the image of God that you're displaying is worthy of rejecting because my God would never love someone that worthless. You see the tension and the anger? I mean, imagine these religious guys that are kind of holding up society. If, if this was an old Western, you know, the religious guys are all wearing white. They're the good guys. That's the one you want your sister to marry. They're the good guys. 
And yet what Jesus is about to do is in verse three, he says, and so, right? So because these guys are listening, I'm gonna share these parables. Now, we just read one, but there's actually three. A lost sheep, there's a lost coin, then finally, right, the lost son. We've called it the lost son. And if you notice, you go back and read this passage, and in the first story with the lost sheep, there's a sheep that's lost. There's someone, right, that loves the sheep enough to go, go look for it. Leaves the 99, goes, looks for the one, finds the one, brings it back, and everybody Hey, let's have a party. I found my sheep. This is amazing. Then there's a, a woman that's lost a coin, something of value. Well, she goes and finds it. She looks for it. She finds it. She brings it back, and everybody celebrates. So here's the pattern. Lost, search, find, celebrate. You get to the parable, the story of the lost son, and you have to start asking the question, here's a son, and he's lost, we all see his sin. I mean, you know this guy's sin. You know his reputation. This is the stuff you really need to repent for. He really needs to go to church. But let me ask you, who's looking for him? He's lost. There's a shepherd that looks for the sheep. There's a widow that looks for the coin. No one is willing to go and look for this son. And Jesus is saying, well, who is really lost? That if we claim to know a God that loves the likes of sinners and tax collectors and yet we don't chase after them, do we really know the Father? This is not a story about one lost son. It's a story about two lost sons. One is lost in his messed up life. The other is lost in his good life. One is lost in self-discovery. I'm gonna follow my desires. One is lost in moral conformity and religion. But here's the story. Neither son knows the father. And here's what we're gonna find. Neither son wants the father. See, what did the younger son want? I mean, let's jump back into the story. Let's follow the pattern. He comes to his father. and What does he say? You know, he comes to his father and he says to him, Father, uh, watch this. In verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. Now, if you finish the statement, when you die. Now, if my son came to me, Dad, I want my share. <laughs> right? Them's fighting words, and he's 14. I, I don't know what, I don't know, even know what I would do. Because what he's saying, I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't think there's anything more par painful for a parent than rejected love. You love your child, you put your heart out there, and they said, I don't want you. I don't care for you. I don't care what you've done for me. All I want is your stuff. Give it to me. Now, we think of fathers today, and I think there's probably a lot more parenting resources than there were, probably were 2,000 years ago, you know? No focusing on the family. No great dad seminars. So if you imagine you would have that kind of rage today, 
What would a traditional man 2,000 years ago, how would he respond? Commentators say the only appropriate response is violence and to kick that child out of the house. But you know what's shocking to the early readers of this passage is not just that he asks in verse 12, it's, it's that and verse 12, he divided his property between them. It's the, that the father gives him what he asks for. Because see, to, to divide up his property doesn't mean he's just liquidating assets. I'm gonna sell off some stocks and bonds, give the boy what he wants. No, for him to liquidate his property means to sell his land. To sell the land, it means everyone in town's going to know you're selling your land. Why are you selling your land? Well, to give it to my son. You know what's happening in this story? This father is not just willing to take the personal shame of what his son has done. He's willing to take ownership of the public shame of what his son has done. And it's interesting in the Greek, this word property, it comes from the root word in the Greek, which is bio, meaning life. You think of biology, the study of life. What it's saying is the father divided his life because in traditional times, your life is your land. And he's saying to this son, I'm going to give you what you want. You know what? That's what Romans 1 says God has done for us. God hands us over to our desires. This is what you want. You can have it. And the son goes off. And I imagine, right, because some of you have been the son, maybe the daughter, the cousin, maybe you did half of it, your stepchild. No? As soon as you got away from the father, you felt free. Yes! This is life. My father's rules are gone. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna experience what I want. None of his oversight in my life. He felt free until he realized, listen, he was a slave. That his vision of freedom became slavery. And what did he do? It says in the text that he came to himself. Have you ever come to yourself? Come to your senses in a moment of clarity? I think I've had a lot of moments of clarity. Almost too many to confess. Where you recognize, wow, I just don't see this right. I don't see my father right. I don't see my wife right. I don't see this situation right. I'm seeing this situation maybe through what has happened to me, but not through the eyes of God. He comes to his senses and he realizes my dad was a lot better than I ever could possibly believe. And so what happens? Watch this, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish in hunger. So he says, I'm gonna get up and go. And here's his plan, because we always have a plan when we mess up life. Father, right? I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, notice what he's saying, as a hired hand. Now, a hired hand meant skilled labor. So here's his strategy. God, you can't bring me back. There's no way you could love me back. Maybe I could earn my way back. But notice, not to being a son, just to being a hired worker. Because see, in Jewish times, to, to rectify a situation, you had to give back. And so he's got a plan. I'm gonna go to the father and tell him, I'll work for you. I know I, I'll never pay off the debt I owe you. Certainly not emotionally or spiritually. Maybe I can get there close financially. 
just hire me as a hired hand. And what happens? For this tax collector, this sinner, notice what happens in verse 19 uh, and 20. Actually, verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, meaning his father's eyes are on the horizon, he sees him, he feels compassion for him, and he runs and embraces him and kisses him. Why? Because he's afraid. I do not want my son to run back. You know, women ran in the first century. Children ran. Wealthy landowners never, never ran. It's shameful. This father is so willing to love his son that he'll bring the shame of the community on himself. He'll bring the shame of this son's sin on himself and he's willing to embarrass himself so his son would know how much he is loved. Is that your view of God? Hey, I need a little help here. You've got these sinners. You wonder what they're thinking, this tax collector. These Jews who were the chosen people wasted their life. You're telling me the father is longing for me to come home? Are you saying to me the father was willing to embrace me, to run to me, to kiss me? You notice that the confession doesn't happen until the kiss. It's the initiating love of God that changes his heart. And it's funny because he doesn't get the speech out, you know? You've done that, you had that moment, you rehearsed the speech. It was good, it's gonna be good. And he gets to the point, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, he stops him. You can't earn this, boy. You can't earn this. Go get the best robe, which means go get my robe. The best robe would be the father's robe. Put it on him. Servants are going, no, have you smelled the boy? Kid needs a bath. I mean, the kid is a mess. No, 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 you don't understand. He's not cleaning his life up. Put the robe of my identity, put the ring that represents my authority. You're coming back, and I'm bringing you back. You can't earn this. If you're a tax collector and you had wasted your life like that, what would that do to your heart? I mean, I would say, are you, are you serious? This, this is a scandalous love. It's not just a rich and gracious, it's, it's scandalous. And so why is this elder brother angry? Well, because he's the good one, right? He's, he sees the part, I mean, he hears it. I don't know how you hear dancing, but he heard it. He's coming up and he asks the servant, hey, what's, what's going on? Your, your brother's back. Ha-ha, right? He's thinking dad's going to kick his butt, right? And they killed the fattened calf. Are you kidding me? Why? For that worthless runt? God, my father couldn't love someone like that. He could only love someone like this. You ever had that attitude? You're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. You know, religion separates the world into the good people and to the bad people. Jesus won't allow us to go there. He's angry. You know why he's angry in part is because in, in effect that calf, it belonged to him. Because let's go back, right? Father, I want my share of the estate, which means if there's two sons, the rest of the estate belongs to the elder brother. 
So when he's looking at the party, he's going, hey, that's my calf. How dare you use my wealth to honor this child? Who do you think, you notice? Look, you, did you see that? Did you see that moment? Woo. The boy's saying, look, you, dad, how dare you use this for someone as worthless as my brother? You know what he does? He does that. I'm not going in. I'm gonna stand outside. You think, this, you think this younger brother shamed you? I'm not going into the party. He should be sitting at his father's right hand. Everyone in town is gathered for this lavish celebration and his firstborn son is not there. So what does the father do? If it was one of us, we'd go out and teach that boy, listen, son. No, he entreats him. Just as the father ran to the younger son, notice he goes with compassion, humility, willing to absorb the sin of an arrogant, self-righteous elder brother and says, he was lost. And you notice what he said, everything I have is yours, which means, yeah, it is. Yeah, dad, thanks. You just gave it. Because see, to bring this son back, realize, it's gonna cost the elder brother a lot. And here's the point, that boy's not worth it. And I think too often that's the attitude of the church. I'm not gonna sacrifice. They're not worth it. It's mine. You know, what's happening in this story? Just quickly, three things that, that come out. In this story, Jesus is redefining who God is. He's redefining what sin is. And finally, he's redefining salvation. Now, first of all, he's redefining God, right? Because Jesus, more than anyone else in human history, taught that God is Father. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Jesus, more than anyone else, called God Father. Now, for many of us, that's a struggle because we didn't have a great father. For many people, or they go back in history and they say, you know, in New Testament times, the patriarchs were so harsh and condemning. You know, they pushed down women and children. They were, they were mean and ruthless. Wouldn't raise anybody up. No, they'd always push everyone down. And so here comes Jesus in the midst of this very harsh patriarchal society. And he says, God is father. And I imagine the tax collectors and sinners going, no, whoa, I'm, I'm not going home to that guy, right? This is a harsh, condemning father. And he says, no, this is what father, the father is like. In this moment, he's redefining for the religious and for the irreligious, this is who God is. And who God was, was shocking. It was absolutely shocking because God didn't fit in any category. You know, first 200 years of the church, the Romans called Christians atheists. Because Jesus so redefined what God was like that they could not grasp or get Christianity into a box. Jesus is redefining. If you struggle with God as Father, you need to start seeing God through the life of Jesus. When you see what he's doing in the Gospels, he's revealing the Father's love for us. Is that the God that you see? A God, whether in our irreligion, is willing to run to us, and yet a God in our self-righteous, arrogant pride is willing to go out and say, son, come back. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth sacrificing for.
and God's grace comes to those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. But here's the second thing. How is, how is Jesus defining sin? Because, you know, that younger brother comes back and, man, he's got a list. <laughs> you with me on that? He has got, I mean, this is serious repentance stuff. This is David-type sin, you know. That's a sinner. Well, let me ask you a question. What is on the list of the elder brother? What's his list? Because Pharisees, listen, the religious, they know when they sin, they repent. But see, when they repent, they're still Pharisees. Are you with me? It doesn't change their heart. Because see, a Pharisee isn't in it to know God. He's in it for what God can give him. What did the boys want? Here's the reality. They're lost because they wanted the same thing. They wanted the father's stuff. Think about that. Dad, I want your stuff. One was much more bold. Self, uh, I, I don't want you, God. I'm gonna do things my self-discovery. I'm gonna follow my heart, follow my desires. One of, it, one of them did it through immorality, through anti-religion. What did the other one, how did he try to get the father's stuff? By being really, really good. By following the commandments. But here's the difference. Neither one of them loved the father. You know, religion, and religion takes various forms. There can be religion and irreligion, and religion and religion. Religion always divides the world into two categories. We're good and you're bad. The lost younger brothers, it's about being open-minded. There's not one God. No, it's, if, if you're open-minded, if, if you're somebody that follows your heart and, and your self-discovery and you follow your own path, you don't let anyone else tell you what is right or what is wrong. No, you do what you think is right. We're the good people. It's all you closed-minded religious types stuck up. You're the problem. And then you got the religious that say, hey, no, it's, it's not us. It's the ones that are morally right, the good, the religious. We're okay. You're wrong. And Jesus is saying to both, you're both lost. You're both lost. Why? If you go back to Romans and Romans chapter one, for in it, meaning in the gospel, what's revealed? A righteousness. A righteousness that is from God, from faith, for faith. For the righteous shall live by faith. What's righteousness? It's what God puts over us through Jesus to accept us. It's what we cannot earn. It can't be gained through obedience or disobedience. It's not something we can earn for by grace. You've been saved through faith. You know it. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? So that none of us can boast that if I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast in the righteousness of God, that God through faith in Jesus has covered me and said, you're my son, which means I did nothing. In what way can we divide the world into the good and the bad? You know, that's the real problem with the church. And it's the real problem, I'll tell you, in your own pastor's heart. That there are moments in life with people and I divide you into the bad. I'm the good. 
And then when you're the good, how are you going to approach that person? I'm superior. I did it right. What does Jesus say we have to do? Before you talk to your brother, you got to get that plank out of your eye. You got to stop building a righteousness of your own. That's what all Romans 1 and 2 is about. Romans 1, the lost younger brother, the Gentiles. Then he says, listen, Romans 2, 1, you who judge others, don't you do the same thing? Not me. I'm not, I don't live like that. No, listen, Jason, you think I love you because of what you do. You're just as self-righteous, both of them. What is sin? It's self-righteousness. That's all it is. It's, it's not just a disobeying. It's saying, I will do it myself. What is salvation? It's being covered in the righteousness of Christ. That he who knew no sin became sin. He became the tax collector. So that we who have sinned may become the righteousness of God, that God would clothe me in the righteousness of Christ. Meaning, here's the change that has to happen. Jesus has to start becoming, he has to be your identity. That his life has to be your life. His sacrifice is your sacrifice. And you realize, the only reason I know the Father is because Jesus was willing to love and to receive me and to bring me in. Which means there's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance and self-righteousness. Why? Because I didn't do anything. And if I'm moral today, praise be to God. And if God reveals my immorality, it's not to shame me, it's to show me his grace. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is radically redefining. Everyone throughout history has said, you gotta climb the ladder, you gotta climb the ladder, you gotta climb the ladder, you gotta do the right things. Jesus saying, no, it's the motivation of the heart. I don't care if you do the right things if you do not know the love of God and if your passion isn't to have God. Younger brothers disobeyed to get stuff. Elder brothers disobeyed to get stuff. Gospel-centered people obey to get because they have God. Not to get what God has, but because they have him. Are you with me? What Jesus is addressing is the fundamental identity of the heart. And if we're gonna be a community that loves well, listen, you have to start looking looking at the heart and say, what am I really worshiping? When I'm angry at another human being, Am I pulling up a righteousness of my own? I did it right. I'm right. I'm good. You're bad. What did Jesus do? He took all that we had done and died on the cross so that we could have life, which means in those moments, you know what I need to do? I need to die to my self-righteousness and say, Father, help me to address the plank in my eye so that I might go out and love those who want nothing to do with you. Do you see that radical grace? If we could just get that in, just maybe 15% of that, that would change the world. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you didn't wait. Um, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, your love was not a calculated love. It was extravagant. You didn't, You didn't do it just because we would respond. You did it to demonstrate who you are. And yet, Father, we we won't give up what we have for those who are against us. We won't sacrifice being right. No, we have to be right, God. They're gonna come to know you through our condemnation, through, through us getting it together, but 
Lord, you, you tear that wall down so often and you, you show us our own brokenness that even though we know you, there are those that we do not think you could love. But if we just for a moment could imagine that your grace is greater than our narrow confines, we would have a love in us that would enable us to love just, just about anybody that comes in our path. Father, would you transform us today through the power of the gospel so that others may see the goodness of the God that you have revealed to us and now, Father, in us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we respond and worship? I'm going to end it on a little not light note. Will the circle be unbroken? Hey, guys, if you're in town Wednesday, I'm going to be down at, we're going to be down at Little Bear. We're going to bring Bergen Park down there and do some praise and worship on Wednesday night from 6 to 7. So if you guys want to go praise and worship down at downtown, we'd love to see you down there. So, so when the circle be unbroken by and by, by and by, there's a This week, would the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ motivate us? The love of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit carry us out to love this community well. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Amen. It's good to see you. Hey.